take your Bibles up this morning, this Christmas Eve, and turning them to John, the third chapter, the discourse between Jesus and the chief teacher of Israel, Nicodemus. John chapter 3, I begin reading in verse 3. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man, who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. For whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten of God. And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. Will you pray with me this morning? Lord God, Father God, sender of your Son, the initiant of salvation unto man, hear us this morning. Let us this morning worship you and your Son, Jesus Christ who willingly offered himself a living sacrifice 
for all who would believe to grant them the new birth and eternal life. Oh, how we praise you for, oh, you so loved the world that you sent your only begotten Son. May many believe today who have not believed. May many be drawn to your words, Lord Jesus, who need to hear them again. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus came. It is an undeniable historical fact that no one in the world of scholasticism, anthropology, history, science or otherwise denies the reality that Jesus was indeed a historical figure who walked the face of the earth in Israel and has affected the entire world not by how he looked but by what he said and did. The image of Jesus is not recorded. I'm sorry for you Shroud of Turin followers. Could be true doubt it. That wasn't what God was intending to preserve. What we have of Jesus are his words and the words that God wrote to record his actions and his activities. It is in and through that that we see God and the intentions of God toward men. Such a man is remembered down through history. And today we gather here because we are celebrating that Jesus Christ was born of the Virgin Mary to his father, his legal father, Joseph, and to his spiritual father, God. In this, the hypostatic union was made. Not a biblical term, just men and theologians trying to figure out how to say it. What God did in joining deity to humanity is amazing. And so a perfect man walked on earth. And he was rejected by men, by and large. And it's Christmas, and I wanted to take us away from the scenes around us, from the commercialism around us, from the market-driven economy around us, and even out of ourselves and our family gatherings for a moment, to pose, as I began last week, to pose the question, if such a holy man as this were here again, would even his own church accept him? I don't say that would they accept his image because that was the easy part. Would they, ex would they accept what he says? And so last week we started looking into what it was that Jesus came to speak about. And we found in the first place that Jesus came to speak about sin. 
that he came into the world because sin in the world is a death-dealing problem. Through the one man, Adam, sin entered the world and death through sin, and it is through the promise, the promissory note of God that he would send through the seed of a woman the deliverance from sin. The new Adam, the new Jesus Christ, to deal with sin was the purpose of his coming. There was no need to send the Son unless there was sin in the world infecting man. It was an overarching purpose of God. And then so Jesus spoke of repentance, just as he talked to Nicodemus and said, you must be born again. He spoke to the man in the midst of Jerusalem, who was the greatest teacher of the law of Moses and a keeper of the law of Moses at the highest and most astute level, even fastidious. And it is my belief that Nicodemus showed up at Jesus' door to ask him questions that Jesus did not let him pose, but posed his own statements Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And what he did by that one statement was to remove all the works that Nicodemus had ever done. All of the accomplishments of keeping the law that he'd ever accomplished. And told him there's something you can't do that has to happen to you. That unless it happens, you won't go to the kingdom of heaven. You're a sinner, you're in sin and you need to repent, yet judgment remains upon you just like it said through Jesus' own mouth in the book of John. He who believes in me, him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already from unbelief because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And so I ask again, if Jesus came, would we believe? Would the church of Jesus believe in the only begotten? And in his message, would the church tolerate Jesus Christ among them today? See, the advent of Jesus was the advent of his message. We looked at those three last week, but this week I wanted to start with love. This is the season of love, isn't it? This is the season where we even say there should be peace on earth and goodwill toward man. And people seem to go out of their way at this time. and It seems to try and love one another on some level. Think a little bit more as we walk by the jingling bell at the grocery store that has the Salvation Army pot and say, you know, I can spare a few shekels for the poor. Ain't that love? Is that message still here in Christmas love? What happened? Is it really love? And if it's really love, then what's happening? Can I take you back in time to 1965? Something was happening in 1965. A new generation was coming to the forefront. A big generation. 
the baby boom. And the baby boomers were setting the stage for a new life, a new civilization, a new way of thinking, to break the old mores that were once before them. We don't need some of those traditions ever so much, but what we do need, we were told, was love. During the Vietnam War, which was raging in 1965, the slogan was, Make Love, Not War. And from that was born this song, was brought to popularity by Jackie DeShannon. You may not know her, but you will know these words. The words to the song that hit the top of the charts were these, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing there's just too little of, she sang. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. No, not just for some, but for everyone. We were told that what we needed was love. But that didn't seem to really bring love. And another generation was born. Secondly, we were told by another generation, we are the world. We are the children. We are the ones who make a brighter day, so let's start giving. And in the second verse of that song, and the truth you know, love is all we need. Those words were written by Michael Jackson and Lionel Richie and were sung by all of the top singers and country pop, you name it, as a chorus to save Africa from the lack of love that was living there. But we look at Africa and there's no peace on earth and goodwill toward men. Another generation rose its head in 2004. Another generation sang don't want to be an American idiot. One nation controlled by the media. Information age of hysteria. It's calling out idiot America. Welcome to a new kind of tension, they sang, all across the alienation. Where everything isn't meant to be okay. Television dreams of tomorrow. We're not the ones who are meant to follow. For that's enough to argue. Made popular by the band Green Day. It was a scathing takedown of American culture 2004. A scathing takedown of American culture following 9-11. What the world needs now? Where's the love Sweet love. Today another generation crowds our college campuses, chanting lyrics to another song, and it is short, but a ditty, yet significant in its contents. They sing from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. Get the Jews out of 
Palestine. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. How did we get here? If in 65 they knew we needed love, and in 85 they knew we needed love, by 2004 they didn't care about that kind of love. They'd been sold a bill of goods and they were done with it. And today they've realized the emptiness of all of those vain promises that wouldn't recognize love unless God shows it to them. A mouthpiece for that generation, a representative of our government, represents the state of Michigan and the House of the United States of America. She said, and I quote, from the river to the sea is an aspirational call for freedom, human rights, and peaceful coexistence, not death, destruction, or hate. I wonder how she can say things like that. Freedom for one means the destruction of another in that saying. But she put it on X, formerly Twitter, and what the world needs now is love, sweet love. So just let me say and let me postulate that I think in 1965 they had it wrong, in 1985 they had it wrong, so that in 2004 they really had it wrong, and by 2023 going into 2024 they've no idea what love is. So on Christmas let me speak for Jesus. So on Christmas, this celebration that seems to be lost, let us speak for Jesus. Let us use these words that brought a Jew to the cross and his death once again. Lest when he come a second time, someone else dies, and it won't be Jesus. It will be those he judges who are condemned already, for they have not believed. What is love needs to be answered, and it needs to be answered by the one who knows love, who created love, who evidenced love, who spoke love, and who lived love, Jesus the Christ at Christmas. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have the gift. Why is Christmas about gift giving? It's the gift of the Son by the Father to the fallen world to give them eternal life. What do you want? You don't need a tree. You need life. You don't need material presence. You need the love of God accepted. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He came to save, not to hate. He came to love. This morning I want to give you four characteristics of this love and then a few other topics on Jesus' lips that we might understand what he was talking to Nicodemus about. 
and preach it ourselves. What is the love that Jesus preached? What was it? Its content. Certainly we need love, and to say we need love, and that that is what the world needs more of, is true. But if you don't know what love is, then you can't do it. You can't understand it. And it begins with God. Jesus Christ's message was to love God. That is the beginning point of love. Without this starting point, there is no love. Listen. Being asked the question, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus is recording as, recorded as speaking in the book of Mark these words. Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is. And he goes back to the Old Testament law, Deuteronomy chapter 6, and he quotes, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first commandment. If you're going to love, the love directed toward God is the most important love. It is love in all aspects of the human being. Heart, soul, mind, strength. Everything in dedication to the love of God, which of course presupposes that you know him. You can't love what you don't know, and that's why he gave us a book about himself and a son to dedicated to the proclamation of himself that we can know him. In John, the fifth chapter, verse 41, Jesus arguing with the Pharisees who did not want to give him his due honor, told them, I do not receive honor from men, i.e., I don't need you to honor me to be in an honored position. Verse 42 of John 5, Jesus said, I know you, that you do not have the love of God in you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If anyone comes in his own name, him you will receive. But me, I came in my Father's name, you don't love me. Which means you don't love my Father and you don't love me. Loving God is the first step in love. You don't know God, not as the world would have you believe he is, but as God has said he is and as you know him to be. You can't go anywhere. You can't give what the world needs now. Added to that, Jesus said, not only love God, he proclaimed, love me. Love me, said Jesus in John 14, verse 20. Let me do 21. And he who has my commandments, he said, and keeps them, listen to this, is he who loves me. Hey, that's a love with strings attached. Yep. Didn't you know love has strings attached to it? What a cheap form of love we've been able to accomplish when we can say, I love you and do nothing for you and not listen to you. How many wives that had, a, had the love of that kind of husband? I love you, dear, but I don't care what you say. I love you, dear, but I don't want to spend time with you. I love you. I'm going to do what I want. You do what you want. That's my form of love. 
No, that's not love. That's not God's love. That's self-love. If anything, it's abhorrent. If I might give it another thing. He who loves me will be loved by my Father if he keeps the commandments. So you know you're loving Jesus if you do what Jesus said, and then he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him by keeping God's commands, by doing what Jesus said, you will actually see Jesus. You will have him made evident to you. You will be living Jesus' words, and you will see Jesus even through how he's using you. That's love. See, this is relational theology. The relationship of God the Father with God the Son and with those who are the sons and those who aren't. Jesus loved the Father and so did what the Father commanded. My will, he said, is to do the will of the Father. I love the Father. We as followers of Jesus Christ, we do the will of the Son. Therefore, we love the Son and love the Father. Moving down in John chapter 14 to verse 23, listen to these words of Jesus. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. Listen to this. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Did you see that relationship? A home relationship. God of love, loving God, following God, and we will make our home with him. To live, Paul said, is Christ. With him, to love is Christ. To know him and do his will. It says, he who does not love me does not keep my word, said Jesus. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. So if you obey the Son, you're obeying the Father. You're loving the Father. You're loving the Son. You're in relationship with the two. You're tied in the middle by the word of God. Love God, that's love. Love me, Jesus said, that's love. Love your neighbor. See, when we talk about Christmas, don't we talk about the Christmas spirit? There's a Christmas spirit, and I don't mean Holy Spirit. I mean a spirit of Christmas, a feeling, a, a, something that is out there that seems to be almost tangible. The spirit of Christmas, and we say it should be good will toward men. That spirit. But the true spirit of Christmas is the true spirit of Jesus Christ and his message of love. For when he had been asked, what is the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God in those four ways. But then he said the second. Why did he add a second? Because that's proof of the first. If you love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, then Mark chapter 12, 31, he says, and the second, the second commandment is like it, is this, you shall love your neighbor as what? Yourself. You know this. We all know this. Love your neighbor as yourself. What does that mean? 
That means as you would like to be loved, love others. How rare is that? I'm not asking for a raising of hands, but we all know that's pretty rare even in Christendom. Why? Because we love ourselves very well. That's why husbands were told to love their wives as their own bodies because no one ever, what, hated their own body, but loved it and cared for it and nourishes it and cherishes it. That's love for another. Love your neighbor. Neighbor. Well, you must not know my neighbors. Right? I mean, you can love your neighbors because you got the easy ones. We got the hard ones. And by the way, that's what they're saying on the other side of the fence. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. And what the world has now is selfish, oh, selfish. Even among us, what is loving your neighbor as yourself? Jesus told a parable about one who saved a Samaritan. No, that wasn't it. A Samaritan who saved a Jew. Oh, what the world needs now is a good Samaritan. The Jew who was beat up and cast into the ditch. And a Samaritan, by the way, a Jew would not enter a Samaritan's house because they had polluted themselves without sourcing, or if you will, marrying amongst the Gentiles and not following the way of God. They wouldn't even enter their house. But the Samaritan went to the side, picked up the beat-up Jew, put him into a hostel, had the keeper of the place take care of him at his own cost. That's your neighbor. And if that's still confusing, Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' own words. Matthew 5, 43. You have heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. You know how that sounds? Let me tell you how it sounds. From the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. That's how that sounds. If you want to know how to do that, you've heard it said, shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Well, you're my neighbor. I like you. I identify with you. That's a neighbor. But the ones I don't like, let's drive them into the sea. Let's get rid of them. And hate your enemy. That's what we hear today. Jesus says, but I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Do you want to know what love is? There it is. If more time was spent on that than the other, our songs would be different, our lives would be different, the world would be changed. This is the Jesus I don't think we would accept today, perhaps even in church. It's so much more fun to hate your enemy. And I don't just mean them. I mean conservatives. Do you realize that being conservative isn't necessarily equated with being a Christian? You didn't know that. Some of you do. To be a Christian is this. If you're going to conserve something, conserve this. This is truth. Love your neighbor as yourself. Bless your enemy. Your enemy that says from the river to the sea. Bless your enemy that says we don't need churches. We don't need your Jesus. We don't want to hear about this. Bless them. 
Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. And your heart will be changed when you do those things, by the way, and you will love them. That you may be. Here, here's what happens. This is the purpose. You do this, here's what happens. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. What is the love of God like? Did you drive to church today or walk? If you drove to church today, you rode in a car with the heater on here in Montana, noticing the brightness of the sun glistening on the snow, saying how wonderful it is that we have a white Christmas. Do you realize God gave that to everyone, not just to those who believe in him? He's given how many Christmases to how many unbelievers down through America's history? And another one is coming. He said it like this. Mine was a paraphrase. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you, says Jesus? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. He perfectly gives his general grace to everyone. You shouldn't have a car. You don't deserve it. You don't deserve the sun. You didn't deserve the snow for Christmas. You don't deserve the presents under the tree. You don't deserve any of it. He gave it to you all. Grace. And then we are to take from that loving one another. And this is specific to believers as well. What is love? Jesus says in John 13, verse 34, a new commandment I give you that you love one another. Not just love your neighbor, but now love one another. And how and what measure should we use? How should it be doled out to our brothers and sisters? Well, this, like Jesus you want to see God? Here he is in Jesus. He said, as I have loved you, love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And this, excuse me, and by this, all will know that you are my disciples. Listen, if you have love for one another. How far does it go in the church? Why does the churches always have so much trouble getting along in the church? It's because we don't know what love is. All the while we're singing, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing there's not enough of. It's not enough of the right kind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love one another as Christ loved you. What does that look like? John 15, verse 12. This is my commandment, Jesus said. And didn't we say that loving Jesus was to obey his commands? Yes, he did say that. We did say that. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Here's the description. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. 
You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. I think he just commanded us to lay down our lives for each other. Who wants to go first? Oh, wait a minute, Pastor. That was real good. We were nodding. Yeah, yeah. Who wants to go first? And see, that's the real thing when it comes to love. Because a lot of times our love is like, well, they haven't been loving to me. Bada boom, bada bing. What a big surprise over here. God put a bunch of sinners together, saved them by grace, born them again by the Spirit. And then he said, love one another. Get together with one another. Live with one another. Well, I can't live with them. I'm just telling you. That was the straw that what? Broke the camel's back. Well, I don't know. I never saw that straw. And I have never seen a broke back camel. I've seen a sway back horse, but I've never seen a broke back camel. And we only say that when we think we have taken so very much, haven't we? <sighs> Poor me, I have to deal with all these other Christians. And if they were just a little more like me, wouldn't it be a lot more fun? Well, you're not here for fun. If you thought you were coming to church for fun, that's across town and ain't here. If you want joy, now that's another thing. If you want love, now that's another thing. Lay down your life. So that means what wouldn't you give to your brother or sister? What wouldn't you give them? If you look around yourself and say, that's mine. I wouldn't give that. Even your life, I wouldn't give that. See, what is life really composed of when you think about it? What's it composed of? Well, it's composed of time. See, existence and being is, is time. Time. Because after you're dead, there's no more time. There's no more time to love your neighbor after your, as yourself, to love one another when you're dead. Is that true? Amen or no? So what are we doing with it? What are we doing with our time? How much are we willing to give? How much do we give to God? How much do we give to one another? Well, but we, we have our routines. We have our things we like. We get a schedule to keep over here. We're Americans. They know I love them. If they were to call, I would answer. We call them. Be with them. You know, one of the hardest things for pastors to do is to keep God's people together. I remember last year at Christmas, do you see, as the calendar moves, you know, this year Christmas is on Monday and we're safe for church. Because last year we weren't safe for church because Christmas was on Sunday. And that ruined the whole thing. 
churches across our city, across the country, closed for Sunday service because it was going to mess up Christmas Day for Christians. What was that? No time. We don't have time to go worship the God who sent his only begotten son out of love. We don't have time to worship the son who gave himself a living sacrifice to us out of love. We don't have time for everyone else in our local church because Christmas is about our family, our stuff, our traditions, and anything that gets in the way of it, we got to get out of the way. And I ask you, if Jesus came and spoke of this love, would the church want him in the midst of them? I don't just say it to you, I say it to me. Love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain. And whatever you ask in my, in my name, he may give you. These things I command you, that you love one another. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing there's not enough of. How will our love look in this local church next year? What extra mile can I go to as the pastor to sacrifice for you? What extra mile can you go to as brothers and sisters in Christ to sacrifice for one another? To lay down that most precious of all things that we have, the time of our being, this earthly existence. What will I offer up? What can I, what can I make? Will it be my privacy? And some time in my home? Will it be your privacy? Some time for someone else in your home? Do you even think of using it? Will it be your money, your finances that you have? 
Will we allow ourselves like the writer of Hebrews wrote, wrote to them and said, you allowed yourself to be plundered for our sake. Plundered. How far into the bank account is that, I wonder? To give of our resources. To give someone some, some extra time, some extra conversation. To set it up. You know, what does it take to get people together? Someone has to do something, don't they? Someone has to be the initiative. Take the initiative and do it, right? Who are those people? They're the other lovers. I'm the kind of lover that needs to be caught. You have to come after me. Pursue me. And then there's the pursuit lovers. They have to be on the chase. Wait a minute. No, we're all supposed to be pursuing one another because I found out in that pursuit of husband and wife relationship that we used to for, uh, uh, <clears throat> heretofore was called dating, found out that in all my pursuit, she happened to be pursuing me back. Ha! Who knew? That's why it actually works. That's how a relationship's actually made. When both are trying. And that's how they fall apart. When only one is trying. Or none is trying. I'm not going to get past love today. Did you guys notice that? I don't have a clock behind me. That's on purpose. I have a clock in front of me behind you. Not that I care that much, it seems. But I do, actually. And I'm going to stop on love today. Maybe save these other ones for the new year, or maybe not. I don't know. There's no law of the Medes and the Persians here. Certainly love is what we need to hear this year. This is the message of Jesus Christ. If we don't want a world that's trying to kill its fellow men, the church needs to do something. Or another generation is going to sing another kind of song that's worse than the present generation. You know that, right? From 65 to 85 to 2004 to 2023, that was a moral decline of love unto hate. And if we sit back as the church and say, what's going on? This is so bad. And then we say, our government needs to stop it. Let me just tell you something. Our government can't stop this. It didn't start the decline. The church did. When we stop teaching what Christ taught about himself and God, even in reference to love, we stop loving the world. And we made it impossible for them to love one another because we don't even have the example anymore. So how we stay together and how we love one another as an example, then and only then can it go to our neighbors and become an example. And I want us to think about that seriously this year because I think this year is one of the biggest testimonial years that the world has ever seen and ever needed. And the church needs to be on the ground ready to go. And if we're not loving one another, we're not ready to go.
there's no sacrifice for one another, we're not ready to go. We'll have nothing for them but judgment. You just wait. He's coming a second time for judgment. Ha! That's not the message of the gospel. That's half the message of the gospel. He's coming the second time for judgment. Please believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Jesus was on the cross. There were two thieves hung with him on crosses on either side. They cursed him at the beginning. They did not want his message. They did not want his holy presence. And then something happened to one. I think it's what Jesus described in John chapter 3 to Nicodemus. You must be born of the water and of the Spirit. And the wind blows where it will, but you do not where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. One of those two thieves was born on his last day of life. And he said then, after having cursed him first, he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you enter your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Today, you shall be with me in paradise. What the world needs now is the love of Jesus. Let's pray. Merry Christmas, Jesus. I pray you will be happy this Christmas. Happy with your love reflected through your people, us, toward you, toward our fellow man, our neighbors, and toward one another. May it be sacrificial as yours was. And for someone here who's never loved with the love of Jesus, who even right now is feeling the love of Jesus, calling to you as he called the Nicodemus, saying, you must be born again. Having that interpreted, believe on me, Jesus said, and you will be born again. I pray you'd believe on Jesus today. Take his love that sacrificed himself for you to cover your sin for he took the wrath of God in your place. Believe on him and you shall be saved. That's the love of Jesus. So take us from here. Let us worship this whole day and tomorrow and then for the next year we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.